So the question is, how does one create, build, and protect and multiply your wealth in a global interconnected economy where change is happening rapidly and constantly and financial markets are rigged to benefit financial institutions and enrich corporate insiders? I've made it my mission to uncover how you can create, protect, and multiply your wealth in any economy and have interviewed the top investors and wealth experts for over three years. I share what I've learned from them and continue to learn on my journey. I'm MC Lobsher, and this is Cashflow Investing Secrets. Hello, everyone. MC Lobsher, and welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Investing Secrets podcast. This is the show where cash is not king. Cash flow is king. Thank you so much for joining me in this episode. And today we're going to talk about the truth about money because a lot of us exchange our time for money, but we don't know what money is, how it works, and we don't understand this game of money. I did a deep dive on this particular topic on my other show, Cashflow Ninja. If this interests you, you could check that out. Just go to cashflowninja.com and type in money, the truth about money, Federal Reserve, and you'll find a lot of content on this particular topic. Starting out my conversation today, I'm going to go way back in history and we'll find that people used to barter with one another, right? They used to freely trade. So if someone had sheep that they could use the wool from to, for example, my clothes. Another person had fish and another person had cows, which produced milk. They freely exchanged with one another through bartering. But the challenge with bartering is what if one person wanted what the other person had to offer? That person didn't particularly wanted what that person had to offer. So there was a little bit of a challenge. So what did they do? They created a medium of exchange societies and tribes decided on the medium of exchange that they were using wherever they are around the world. So, you know, the medium of exchange was tally sticks, seashells, salt, and then gold and silver. Aristotle actually loved gold, and there was four qualities of gold that he mentioned and of why it was such a good form of money, and that's why it's been money throughout centuries, is it was durable. It didn't rot or erode. It was portable. It was easy to transport, or way easier than herding a bunch of cattle from one place to another. It was divisible. You could divide it up into smaller pieces. And then it was intrinsically valuable because you had to put a lot of energy into it and actually mine gold, right? So it was scarce because you had to go and get it out of the out of the ground. Fast forward to paper money. First traces of this documented was in China. The Chinese actually used the first form of paper money. And what money was as paper money was certificates a derivative of something. So it was a certificate of gold or silver, let's just say, a derivative of gold and silver. And then if we fast forward, then money was also partially backed by something. So it was still certificates, but maybe it was partially backed by gold and or silver. We fast forward, then we get to central banking. And here in the United States, there was actually two central banks three if you want to get really technical, before the Federal Reserve came into existence in 1913 through the Federal Reserve Act. And then they became the entity which controlled the money supply and had control over the money in the United States. So that was a big, big day to remember. Fast forward to 1944, after the Second World War, the rest of the world was devastated and decimated. Europe, of course, was a huge theater of that war. The United States was not. And at the Bretton Woods meeting, 
where this new money system was created, the United States became the U.S. dollar. Well, the U.S. dollar of the United States became the w- world's reserve currency. So that's huge. So currencies around the world could be converted into the U.S. dollar, which could be converted into gold. A lot of countries also warehouse gold in the United States. That's very important to know as well. So that was that system. Fast forward then to 1971. Richard Nixon closed the gold window on the world, basically, and said, we will no longer, because there was a run on gold, convert the U.S. dollar into gold and give you gold for your U.S. dollar. So they closed. he closed the gold window. Money became fiat currency, which is fiat currency is not backed by anything, number one, and, and it's money that's issued by decree or fiat by a government. And that also goes hand in hand with legal tender laws, which is laws that are in a particular geographical area enforce the use of a particular currency. So in the United States, it's U.S. dollars around the world. You know, obviously, they use different currencies and money. So it's very, very important to understand that money started with the free market and with people and was through the time monopolized by governments. And if you think I'm joking about that, just search Bernard von Nothaus. He's the creator of the Liberty Dollar. He was arrested actually for counterfeiting. So let's just touch for a second on fiat currency because it's not backed by anything. So why would someone accept a fiat currency? Let's talk about the United States because of their confidence in the U.S. government. That's number one. Okay, number two, what is a fiat currency? How does it work currently? Well, the Federal Reserve lends money to commercial banks, which pays them an interest, and through commercial banks, the money is spread throughout the system. So technically, on the Federal Reserve Reserve's financial statement, money is an asset to them. The Federal Reserve notes are assets to them, and it's liabilities on, on the commercial bank. So when you lend money to someone, what's the collateral? The collateral is the U.S. taxpayer, right? The ability of the U.S. taxpayer to pay the debt back, and that's why they keep issuing money. So that is super, super important to understand. So if you go to usdebtclock.org, you'll actually see that there's five times more debt than money in circulation in uh, in the United States, which is very, very, very interesting. I want to touch on Bitcoin. In 2009, Bitcoin was created, so money actually became data Two, and kind of reverted back because it's a separate money system created by who knows who. But, you know, in 2009, Bitcoin came in. So it went actually from being something to being data. And, you know, how I view it is money simply an idea because all of us have the ability to create money through producing and creating value for others, right? So if you have an idea and it's well executed, the result of that would be value creation, which will result into money if you follow me. So how do you print your own money? Become your number one and greatest asset because you are already and you should be investing in that number one and greatest asset. And if you're not an asset already, I know you are because you're listening to this or watching this. Uh, if you are a liability, you got to turn yourself into an asset. So Money became an idea well executed because, as I mentioned, you know, if you really want to look at money and what it is in today's shape or form, it's a representation of value. When you produce and create more than you consume for others, you have more money, right? So it's not an issue of money itself. It's an issue of you not producing and creating enough for others in the marketplace. 
Another thing that's very, very important after you produce and create a lot for the marketplace and the result of that, the representation of value is money, is what you do afterwards with that money. Do you consume it? Do you keep it by yourself? Or do you actually deploy it into the marketplace to produce and create more? Because that plays into the tax code, which is a very big part of the money game. So if you produce and create the end result is representation of the value that you produce and create. That would be money. And if you deploy then that to create more value for others, guess what? Through cash flow investments and assets and playing the tax game correctly, you get to keep more of the money that you produce and create. So it's truly a reflection of the value that you are on this planet to the marketplace and to other people and how you continue to deploy it to increase the value that you produce and create for the people on this planet. So that's my take on it. It's a representation of value, and it's also a medium of exchange. And here's why medium of exchange is super, super important. Because if we don't trade freely and fairly with one another, what do we do? We revert to violence. If we can't negotiate and trade value for value, it's going to resort into violence. So that's my take on money. It's a representation of value, and it's a medium of exchange. Money is not evil. Let me just comment on that quickly. Money is not evil in and of itself, because otherwise churches will not collect it, and you will not cash your checks. Money is simply a tool. It's going to amplify what you already are back to you. It's going to amplify what you are. So if you're an evil person, it's going to amplify that. If you're a good person, it is going to amplify that as well. So you're the main driver of that tool and you're the guy wielding the axe. It's just an axe. So that's what I've got today in this episode. The truth about money. Live your freedom. Live your legacy on your terms. Looking forward to our next conversation. If you are interested in learning more about cash flow investing, I have compiled the 21 best cash flow investing strategies I have come across studying millionaires and billionaires for two decades and interviewing over 500 successful investors and wealth experts. You can grab the 21 cash flow investing strategy secrets at 21cashflowinvestingsecrets.com. That's 21, the number, cash 